the first of our two speakers. Brother Dan Winkler is someone that I have known probably over 25, maybe 30 years. And as uh, the Lord would have it, our paths uh, cross uh, numerous times throughout the year from being at the same event together, maybe being on the same program together. But Dan is one that if you are one that likes to check in on things that are available on the internet or other places, know that he is constantly working, constantly producing things. He is an excellent writer. He is one that has taken on a responsibility of answering questions for the Magnolia Messenger and doing a superb job, although he has not answered my question. I, I submitted the very first question. I think it was the very first question uh, about the, in, the theological implications of insistent Gnosticism in the ecclesiastical church. <laughs> but he's ignored that question. And, uh, but I'm over it now. You can tell. It's, but if you read that, or if you're not on the, the subscription to Magnolia Messenger, it's free. Uh, you'd want to get that and read the excellent well thought out and well answered questions that Dan does. He is one that is highly sought at in the brotherhood. He fills up his time with lectures and appointments. As a matter of fact, he was invited last year and he was not able to come because he already had a conflict and so I said, all right, I want to schedule you for 2023. And so we've had this book now for uh, pretty close to two years. And uh, that's, uh, that's the way it is, and that's how uh, sought after he is. And so we're honored to have our brother Dan with us tonight. I love him so much, appreciate the good work that he does in faithfully proclaiming the word. And so I'm going to now turn it over to Dan. Please come preach the word. A couple stand right next to a mound of flowers. There's a makeshift monument constructed of tin and a postcard with their son's name on it. The crowds have dispersed. No one else is present. They embrace. Her shoulders begin to shake. She weeps. His shoulders begin to shake. He weeps. And as their tears mingle, he tries to assure her with the words, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Knowing at the core of his very being, it might be okay. 
but it will never be the same. Indeed, man is born to trouble. We read in Job chapter 5, verse 7, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. But gratefully there can be gleaned comfort from a thus saith the Lord. And so tonight, I would like to ask you to journey with me through three specific psalms. We call them psalms that calm my troubled soul. And actually, the content of each psalm will build in thought on the other and lead us to one blessed thought that even though we have to experience the troubles of life, we can do so with courage and confidence. I'm going to ask you to turn, first of all, to Psalm 6. Psalm 6. As we began thinking about the Psalms that calm my troubled soul. Now as we focus on these 10 verses, it's interesting to see that in these 10 verses we learn that problems in life will truly encapsulate us. I want you to follow with me as the psalm unfolds and see if you can relate to the feelings of David in the psalm. Beginning with verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. That is, I feel like I'm going to faint. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Another way to translate, my bones are terrified. I hurt all over. I'm afraid to move. My soul is also greatly troubled. Another way to translate again, my soul is also greatly terrified. I not only hurt all over, I hurt inside and I'm afraid to even exist. But you, O oh Lord, how long? I read in those three words the sentiment of an individual who found it very difficult, found it hard to get up in the morning. I find in those three verses the words of a broken man. They remind me of what we find in the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 12 where in verse 3 I read about individuals or the prospect of individuals being weary and faint-hearted. I feel like I'm going to faint. And in the same context, note the word pictures the Holy Spirit paints for us of individuals who reach that point who feel like I'm just about to faint. I don't think I even have the energy to get up out of bed this morning. The word pictures are found in verse 12. Drooping hands. Literally, hands that are by the side. Weak knees, 
literally weak knees, knees that are loose at the side, wobbly. I keep reading and I read about feet that are lame, another way to translate it, feet that are crippled. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the problems of life, if not handled properly, will turn us into emotional cripples. I say that, I go back to Psalm 6, and David says, hey, I can relate to that. And I ask, can you? Problems can encapsulate, just totally surround us in life. But as I keep reading in Psalm 6, verses 4 and 5 say, Turn, O Lord, deliver me. Deliver my life. Another way we could read that would be, Turn, O Lord, and take out. Turn, O Lord, and rip away. In other words, David says, there's something growing inside of me. Reach inside and pull it out. Excise this thing. Save me. Rescue me from my enemies. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love, your mercy. For in death, there's no remembrance of you. In Sheol, the pit, the abyss, the grave, you will give, who will give you praise? In death, there's no remembrance. I feel like I'm going to die. Reach on the inside of me and pull this thing out. Rescue me from those that are putting it there. I feel like I'm going to die. Here are the words of a man that give us the sentiment of one who found it hard to keep going in life. Wasn't it Paul that said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, all we who are in this tabernacle, this tent, do groan, being burdened. And David says, hey, hey, I can relate to that. The burden that I feel on the inside that I want God to take out and away. Verses 6 and 7, I am weary, oh, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. Every night I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. Because of grief, it grows weak because of all my foes. The words of a man who found it hard to sleep at night. You see, in verses 1 to 3, I find the words of a man that is broken. In verses 4 and 5, I find the words of a man that is burdened. And in verses 6 and 7, I find the words of a man that is so bothered, he can't even make it through the night. And nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace that passes understanding, wait, say what? David wants to know more about that in Psalm 6. He doesn't know about the peace that passes understanding as he writes Psalm 6, verses 6 and 7, the words of a burdened, broken, and now bothered man. But don't you find it interesting that as the psalm begins to draw to a close, David says it three times, 
Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for because the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts, has heard my prayer. I read through the psalm and I find the words, O Lord, O Lord, O Lord, O Lord, O Lord. Languishing, troubled, troubled. Weary, moaning, tears, weeping, grief. But the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts, has heard my prayer. Even though this man was encapsulated by the problems of life, he could still sense the, sense the touch of God's care, a God in whom he would trust. And that leads us to our second psalm of the night. Can you relate to that? Have there been times in your life when you felt like you just didn't want to get up and get going in the morning? You just didn't feel like you had anything else in the gas tank that says, okay, now let's face another day. Haven't you been there? Haven't you found yourself in the day saying, I am totally spent. I am emotionally wrecked. I have nothing else to give. Haven't you been there? Haven't you spent night after night after night? The last thing that you do in the day is you pray to God about the problem on your heart. The first thing that you bring to mind in the morning is the problem on your heart. And that problem is fresh because it was on your heart all night long keeping you up. Haven't you been there? Can't you relate? Problems can encapsulate us in life. Well, let's hasten on then to a second psalm. Turn with me now to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. Whereas problems will encapsulate us in life, there are some things we need to keep in mind. From the example of David himself, there are some things we might anticipate experiencing when those problems encircle us. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart, or in, in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Let's pause there. Here are three things from the words of David that we might anticipate when we find ourselves surrounded by and overwhelmed from the problems of life. First of all, those problems might seem permanent. How long, O oh Lord? How long? How long? How long? And again, the first 
phrase or two, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, forever? How long, how long, how long? Problems in the midst of them will seem as though they have no end. I know the Holy Spirit through Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Our light afflictions, which are for the moment, work for us. But you talk to David in Psalm 13, and he's not writing like a man that feels like this is just for the moment. How long, how long, how long, how long is this going to last? Not only can the problems seem to be permanent, but in the midst of our problems, God might just seem distant. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long? Will you hide your face from me? I know Proverbs tells us that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. I know that Hebrews tells us in chapter 4 that there's nothing that is not naked and laid open before His eyes. I know that Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 tells us in verse 6, I will in no wise fail, literally desert you. Neither will I in any wise forsake, egg cut the lipo, you. Egg cut the lipo, lipo leave. Cut the down, egg in, in. I will not desert you. I won't leave you down in that, the Lord himself has said. Therefore, with confidence, we can say, the Lord is my helper. David doesn't feel it in Psalm 13. God is at a distance. Have you forgotten me? Are you hiding your face from me? How long is it going to last? And in the midst of our problems, we might anticipate struggling with our prayer lives. Our prayers might seem, seem impotent. I keep reading and I come down to verse 3 and, and David says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Don't miss the fact that in Psalm 6, as well in Psalm 13, I'm reading the word Lord in my translation, the English Standard Version, perhaps in yours. The word Lord is spelled in all caps, referencing the Tetragrammaton, the four consonant covenant name for God, Chaveh, I am that I am, or I will be what I will be. The ever-present God. And so to this ever-present God, David says in verse 3, Consider and answer me, O ever-present my God. You're my God. You're the ever-present, my God. Consider and answer me. Could we consider another way to translate that? Consider. Look. Look at me. Could we consider another way to translate that word answer? Say something to me. Look at me, O ever-present, my God. Say something to me. The words of a man struggling in his communication 
with God. He says it, he writes it with great respect, as I'm sure you have too when you have found yourself in the throes of agony. Has the Lord ever told you no? Has the Lord ever said, why don't we wait a while? Are you right now trying to figure out which of the two He said to you? I hope you never find yourself in a circumstance where you are in your secret place and you're praying to God and you say words such as, Father, I just don't understand this. I just don't get it. You tell me that if I ask, you will give. You tell me that if I ask, you will give. If I don't ask amiss, that is if I don't ask out of selfishness, I'm not asking out of selfishness. In fact, if you say yes, my life is going to be all the more challenged. But please, Father, and every single time you prayed the prayer, every single time you prayed the prayer, every time you prayed the prayer for more than a decade, he said, no. And now you're beyond the point to where the prayer even needs to be prayed. And you know that he said, no. And you're still left saying, I just don't understand. You might struggle with your prayer lives and your prayer might seem impotent. I know James 5 says, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, much. English Standard Version has much power. But there might be times when you want to question that, although it is still true, there might be times you want to question that in the throes of agony, in the midst of life's problems. This is the man who is described only one time in all of the Bible as a man after God's own heart. And he was thus described centuries later in Acts chapter 13. Here is a man after God's own heart by God's own description. And look how he felt in the midst of life's problems. Well, that encourages me to continue to read through the Psalms. There's one more that we want to give our attention to tonight. And that would be Psalm 23. So if you'll turn with me now to Psalm 23, we'll begin with verse 1. Now, of course, in Psalm 6, we learn that problems can encapsulate in Psalm 13, we've learned some things that we might anticipate. But when we come to Psalm 23, we learn how to properly navigate through the problems of life with trust as did David. I might add before we get into Psalm 13, if we were to con Psalm 23, if we were to continue with Psalm 13, 
David goes on, and in the last two verses of the psalm, he says, but, okay, problems seem permanent. God seemed at a distance. His prayers seemed impotent. He's struggling amidst his problems. And yet he closes this psalm in the same sentiment as he closed Psalm 6 by saying, but I have turned or trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Even though he is in the throes of agony and even though he is struggling with various aspects of his faith, he still closes the psalm by saying, but I remember I have been touched by the care of a God in whom I will continue to trust. And that's the way you and I need to feel, thus Psalm 23. We know the psalm well, don't we? The Lord is my shepherd. Now I'm going to read it, and as I read it, I want you to note the shift in emphasis. I feel confident where you preach, your preacher has brought this out. I feel confident that as you have studied through your studies at Bear Valley Bible Institute, your teachers have borne this out, but it still is wonderful to repeat. By the way, when you read through these psalm, this psalm, you will find no less than 16 personal pronouns. Me, my, I. David places himself into the midst of this psalm's sentiment. Watch the two emphases as they unfold. Pay particular attention to the shift. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you. Did you see the shift in emphasis? In the first three verses, he's writing about God. And now in the last three verses, he's going to be writing to God. It's as though David cannot think about God. He cannot write about God unless his love for God and his awareness of God's love for him forces him to just burst forth in wanting to write a prayer to God himself. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Maybe you haven't seen it, but in those six verses, three times, David says, I shall or I will. And with those three observations, he tells us how to successfully navigate through the problems of life. The Lord is my shepherd. Here's the first of the three. I shall, I will not want. 
My God shall supply every need of yours, I read in Philippians 4.19. That's how David felt in penning Psalm 23, verse 1. I will not want. And that because he trusted in a God who would provide. Now listen carefully to what David teaches us implicitly to do as we focus on a God who will provide and therefore our living without a concern for the future. First of all, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. Implicitly that tells me it's not natural for us to take pause. Especially in times of difficulty. Maybe you're not like me. But when faced with difficulties, when, when encircled by problems, I want to make it better. I want to address the problem. I want to search for the fix. But ladies and gentlemen, there are some things in life for which there is no solution. When my wife and I lost our son almost 17 years ago, for two weeks, I would not call my mother. Out of respect, knowing what we were having to deal with, she waited to call me. And finally the phone rang. And when we talked, I said, Mama, I haven't called you. And I said, I haven't called you because mamas fix things. And this can't be fixed. There are certain circumstances in life for which there is no fix. No solution. No matter how hard we try to engage and no matter how hard we try to be proactive... David tells us in this psalm, God will provide. And the first thing that we learn from a God who will provide, that God makes me lie down. He says implicitly, stop. Stop. Relax. Isn't it in the book of Mark? Where Jesus says to the apostles, come apart and rest a while, for they had no time for leisure. Years ago, I heard a preacher address that subject. He said, the Lord tells us, come apart and rest a while. Most of us just obey the first part of that verse. We just come apart. (laughs) Isn't that true? And usually it's because we're trying to be proactive and work out that for which there's no solution. So stop. Relax. The second thing that David tells us to do implicitly is let 
God work. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. Now, He restores my soul. Years ago, I read a little book written by a shepherd called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. (coughs) And when it came to this particular phrase, He restores my soul, the author referenced what is called (coughs) a cast sheep. Because of their wool, a cast becomes top-heavy. And if it falls over, being top-heavy, it is incapable of riding itself back up onto its four legs. Left in that condition, blood gases will restrict blood flow, and ultimately, the sheep will die. And so a good shepherd will keep an eye on his flock. And when he sees a sheep that has fallen over, he will come and he will write the sheep back onto its four legs. And therefore restores the life of the sheep. He restores my soul. The Lord is my shepherd. Let God work in your life. Stop. Relax. Leave it to God. When I try to work it out, I end up making a bigger mess. When I let God work it out, it's absolutely amazing what He can do. Amen? Let God work. In Hebrews 1.14, we are told of the angels. And it says that angels are ministering spirits. They're spirit beings. Verse 7 of the same chapter tells us they're spirit beings. They're ministering spirits. The word translated ministering is the word that references a public official, a fireman, a policeman, a patriot. And so angels are spirit beings that are public officials. Their ministering spirits sent out. The word sent out there is the verb form of the cognate noun giving us apostle. They are sent out. They're dispatched. Pause. If you were to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and read the last verse, it tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of God, angels having been made subject to Him. Jesus is the one who dispatches angels into the unseen realm of providence. So there are ministering spirits Dispatch sent forth to minister. The word minister there is diakoneo, that is, they wait on tables. They serve tables. They serve a specific demographic of the public, those who will inherit eternal salvation. Angels are ministering spirits dispatched by Jesus Himself into the unseen realm of providence to serve tables and see to my needs and your needs. What are they doing, Brother Dan? They're seeing to our needs. We'll be more specific. They're seeing to our needs. That's about as specific as you can get. And why would you want even more? Let God work. And then, as we think about not wanting because of a God who provides Stop and relax, let God work, and make certain that you always choose to do what is right. 
yourself. When we've been wronged, depending on how sizable the wrong, one of the initial reactions is to retaliate. But vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, says the Lord. I think I've read that a couple of times in the New Testament. So I must always choose, difficult, difficult, difficult as it is, to always make certain that I do what is right myself. Trusting in a God who will provide. I shall not want. The second I will or I shall, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, (coughs) I will fear, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I will not worry. Why? Multiple times in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Be not anxious. Do not worry. O King James, take no thought for. David says, I'm going to choose that path. I will not fear. I will not worry. But why? For you are with me. The verbiage that David uses is far more picturesque. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the deep, dark, shadowy places where death abides, I will not fear. I will not worry. Because you are with me. Oh, that reminds me. February of 2021, due to anomalies in tests, other tests were required, and I had to hear that C word. Heard that on Monday, saw the surgeon on Wednesday, saw the oncologist on Thursday, and on Friday, it was downtime, and I woke up and I was by myself. And I began to pray. And I began to weep like a baby. And I prayed and I said, Father, I am so afraid. I am so afraid. Brethren, I never got that out of my mouth until the words of Jesus came to my mind. The words that he said to the apostles as he came walking on the water. Literally translated, be of good cheer, don't be afraid. I, it is I. In other words, don't be afraid. I'm here. And that's what David is saying in this passage. Even though I have to face death itself, I'm not going to worry because I, it is I. My shepherd is there with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, for time's sake, we come down to the last verse. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall, or I will, 
dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. I'm going to be with God forever. The words of a man who wrote a psalm that said in its very essence, I will not waver. So close your Bibles, and I have two questions for this closing test. You're going to make an A-plus on the first question. You're going to have to really strain it with the second question. What are the first three words of Psalm 23. Let me hear it. The Lord is. Wasn't that easy? Wasn't that easy? What are the last three words of Psalm 23? Ah. The Lord forever. Now put the first three and the last three together. The Lord is the Lord forever. The God of David who cared for him is the God that is with you this very evening. And that's why you and I can say, I will not want I will not worry, and before God, I will not waver. As we close, two men sat on the stage, both with the same task. And so the first approached the microphone, a very well-known orator, and with a copy of Psalm 23 in his hand, He began to read, and the words just flowed through his lips, and you could tell he was a professional. The Lord is my shepherd, and on he went. And when he finished, he received a standing ovation. He did such a marvelous job. And then the second man approached the microphone, an older, bent gentleman, with a copy of his Bible in his hand. And he began to read. And he read from his own Bible the words of Psalm 23. And when he finished, there wasn't a dry eye in all of the house. Someone in the back shouted, What made the difference? What made the difference? And the MC for the evening approached the microphone and said, Ladies and gentlemen, the difference. Our first speaker tonight knew the song. 
But our second speaker tonight knows the shepherd. I leave you with the question. Do you know the shepherd?